et bienvenue. Hello and welcome. I'm Marion Jones. This is City Breaks Bordeaux, Episode 9, Saint-Emilion and Other Day Trips. So, as befits the fact that we're nearing the end of the series, something a little different this time, leaving Bordeaux itself and thinking, where could you go if you fancy a day out? Perhaps to somewhere more rural, perhaps to the coast, perhaps just to one of those places you've heard about and like the sound of, which in my case was Saint-Emilion. I'd always wanted to go there, and when I realised how close it was to Bordeaux, I thought, right, that's a day trip right there. And so the first part of the episode is going to focus on that, and then to finish off, some more ideas for other places you can easily reach if you want to get out into the surroundings, see a little bit more of Nouvelle-Aquitaine. Going to feature quite a few possibilities using public transport, but there'll be a brief mention of something you can do by car too. Okay then, let's get started. So, Saint-Emilion, which you've almost certainly heard of and seen on wine bottle labels. And if that so far is the extent of your knowledge, let me just say that it's an idyllic sort of village stroke town with medieval ramparts, remains of a Roman wall, a great setting in the Bordeaux countryside, thousands and thousands of hectares of vineyards all around it, lovely architecture, really one of those places where there seems to be a photo opportunity at every turn. And that's before mentioning the thing for which Saint-Emilion is most famous, and that of course is, yes, the wine. Perhaps ought to start with how to get there, which is very simple. You can get a train direct from the Saint-Jean station in Bordeaux. I think it takes about half an hour and will leave you with a 15-minute walk or so into the centre. Or you could do what we did, not actually from choice, but more because there weren't any trains that day. But anyway, we got a bus, which worked out very well. It left from the Cancans area in Bordeaux, just next door to the tourist office. And it did take a little longer than the train, I think nearly an hour to get there. But on the plus side, it dropped us off about five minutes walk from the main square. So when I go again, I may well choose that second option, the bus. Just to fill in the briefest of historical contexts, this was a settlement in Roman times, not called Saint-Emilion then, but called Ascumbas. The Romans occupied the area. They did that very useful thing of bringing new grape varieties, which took very well and sparked a whole industry. And then after their departure, and that era known as the Dark Ages, the 8th century, when things really took off, because a monk from Brittany, one Emilion, fled here. He was being persecuted in Brittany, so he fled south to Nouvelle-Aquitaine and sought refuge in one of the caves, where he lived as a hermit and soon became really rather well known. He did miracles, he preached, pilgrims took to stopping off en route to Santiago de Compostela to visit him and hear what he had to say, and before long he had lots of followers, and with their help it was very soon the case that this little town became a centre of religion. Even while he was alive, they called it the place where Emilion lived, and after his death, his legacy continued, and the town became known as Saint-Emilion. It became particularly prosperous from the 12th century onwards. Good King John of England, actually I think he was bad King John in England, but he did a good thing in this area, he gave the town the ability to rule itself, set up something called the Jurade, 
a sort of town council or mini-government, which meant that it could rule as an independent city, and so grateful were they that in return they said, tell you what, we'll send you some of our best wines, export them to England, and I think it's safe to say that ever since then, all through the ensuing nine centuries, wine from Saint-Emilion has sold very well in England, and that was one of the things which helped to build up its reputation. The Girard lasted until the French Revolution, but that doesn't mean everything was plain sailing, because this little area was right on the border of the French territory and the English territory, and so battle after battle followed all through the 13th, 14th and 15th centuries. In the 16th century, a new reason to fight each other, the wars of religion, and the area, which was Catholic, was attacked and pillaged by the Huguenots on a number of occasions. But from the 17th century onwards, more of a peaceful era. The wine trade was growing, new people were settling here and planting vineyards, and by the 18th and certainly the 19th century, it was a very well-off area. The vintners were doing well for themselves, they took to building chateaux, many of which are still there today, and really ever since wine has been one of the two main reasons to visit Saint-Emilion, the second one being tourism, which takes us back to visits you may make. So, having arrived by bus or by train and found the central bit, the main square, where the tourist office is, what to do next? Well, you can get quite a lot out of just wandering. It's one of those little towns with hilly, cobbled streets and lovely views popping up unexpectedly round corners, lots of restaurants and shops to linger in, and so it is very nice to just have a good look round and take lots of photos. That's not to say that there aren't some particular sites that you're probably going to want to visit as well. Depends how long you've gone for, really. But if you are determined to see the main things, I think I would suggest starting with the monolithic church, the Église de Saint-Emilion, which was dug into the rocks many centuries ago by some very determined people who actually dug out some 15,000 square metres of stone in total and built their church. You can only see it by going on a guided tour today. It'll take about 45 minutes and they will take you down to the catacombs where all the most important people of Saint-Emilion were buried in the Middle Ages, show you Saint-Emilion's original cave where there is something very particular to see, namely a fertility chair one which has been visited over the centuries by many generations of would-be mothers and which is said to have the desired effect. Also down there you will find the 14th century Chapelle de la Trinité, Trinity Chapel, where you can see 14th century paintings still there on the walls. A reminder, as usual, that the links to all the places I'm mentioning will be in the show notes and will also be on the accompanying blog post, along, of course, with some pictures. As an aside, I read something very interesting about the use to which these caves were put during World War II, namely that they were used as a hiding place to conserve some of the precious stained glass windows from churches and cathedrals all over the country. People had spent the first weeks of the war removing some 50,000 square metres of said glass and storing it carefully away in specially prepared casings and moving it to top-secret locations actually in a number of places in France, but particularly here, underground, in Saint-Emilion. Other things that you're likely to want to see include the Église Collégiale, or the Collegiate Church. 
very close to the tourist office and particularly interesting for two reasons. Firstly, there's the church itself, built between the 12th and 15th centuries, a real mix of styles, Romanesque, Gothic, but also one of the most beautiful cloisters you will see anywhere. All four sides of it have been preserved. I think that's pretty unusual. And it's interesting to want around, not just because it's beautiful, but also because these days it's used for stalls, selling all kinds of crafts and local products. And where on the walls, in addition to some of the original things, reminders of graves and little statues and whatnot, you will also see modern takes on religious art. So, for example, pieces of religious text in unusual formats or paintings based on Bible stories. Then you'll almost certainly want to climb the Tour du Roi, which of course is French for King's Tower. In the guidebooks, it tends to be called the King's Keep. Dates from the 13th century. I don't think it's clear who built it, but it's open every day. You can climb up and again, excellent views in all directions. And then fourthly, somewhere called Les Cordeliers, which was a 14th century Franciscan monastery, mostly destroyed, unfortunately, in the revolution, but which in the 19th century was given a new use, namely underground galleries created there too by a wine company who used it as a good place to make and store the sparkling wine in which they specialised. It's very well known still today, Cremant de Bordeaux, it's called, Quite unusual, because it's one of those Bordeaux wines that isn't red and is sparkling, so a bit different from the others in two different ways. You might choose to go to explore the underground tunnels, of which there are three kilometres worth, built under the town and under the vineyards. 20 metres underground, so not great if you're claustrophobic, but where you will find a constant temperature all year round of about 12 degrees, which makes it perfect for ageing the wines, as in fact does the fact that, of course, it's dark down there. So you can visit the tunnels, you can visit the cellars, you can learn how wine is made, or you could just pop along to enjoy the nice outdoor wine bar that they've got on the site. Saint-Emilion is one of those places where, if you do wander around, you will keep finding nice places to stop, to eat or drink. And that's part of the fun of visiting, I would say. But if you'd like to have a name in advance, There you go, Les Cordeliers, which is a reminder of the central fact about Saint-Emilion, namely the idea that it is built really, certainly these days, around its wine trade. So I might pause for a very quick recap on that, a reminder that it started in Roman times when the Romans bought grapes here and discovered the excellent climate, the soil in which the vines grew very well and things took off from there. Boosted then in 1199 by King John, granting Saint-Emilion autonomy. So a good place for thrusting businessmen to set up camp. If you planted vines, they would grow. And if you wanted to establish a business, you'd be left in some peace and quiet to do that as you saw fit. So in the centuries which followed, particularly the 13th century, the wine trade really took root in Saint-Emilion and its reputation for quality wine became more and more established. Wine growers banded together, they developed a vintner's mark featuring the town's coat of arms, and they policed what was going on in the wine trade. They came down heavily on anyone acting fraudulently, they punished people for producing, quote, insufficiently fine wine, and all of this fed into the reputation and meant that the 
industry just grew and grew and took over from corn as the main thing produced in Saint-Emilion. Things took quite a downturn during the revolution, but picked up again afterwards, and in the 20th century, winemakers of the area re-established their brotherhood, as it's called, to promote Saint-Emilion worldwide. And when you find out that only 6% of wine from the Bordeaux region comes from Saint-Emilion, and connect that with the fact of how famous and well-known it is, you understand that something's going very right. That long-established reputation continues. I did read somewhere that it was said that Louis XVI always used to drink Saint-Emilion wine with his meals, and that being whether he was at home or abroad. Everything else, he thought, was inferior. So, if finding out about the wine trade in Saint-Emilion is what you want to do, you can book a tour through the tourist office, or you can visit one of the vineyards or producers. There are lots to choose from, but they do have a system which is that the tourist office every day highlights one Chateau du Jour, so the one that's definitely open that day. So it means that there'll always be some that you can visit whatever day you choose to go. We went to one called the Maison Gallo, where there was a choice of tastings, various permutations of different qualities of wine, and somebody to talk you through them. We were, in fact, the only people there when we went, even though this was early September, so quite a main holiday period, really. But it meant we could ask away any questions we had. And there, as in common with all the others, I imagine, you can buy wine to take away, of course, or you can choose a selection and have it shipped home if you want more than a bottle or two. I might just briefly mention another product which is well known in Saint-Emilion, namely their macaron. It's said, I'm not sure how true it is, that macaron actually originated here and what is certainly the case, I think, is that they've been produced in Saint-Emilion since 1620, which does make them older than, for example, La Durée, of whom you are more likely to have heard. And the recipe, just three ingredients, egg whites, icing sugar and almond flour, was devised by the nuns in one of the convents, the Ursuline sisters. The exact quantities are a secret, have always been so. The recipe is passed down from one generation to the next and is said to be exactly the same as it was in 1620. There are lots of places in Saint-Emilion where you might buy a box of Lacaron and I'll put links for two of the best-known ones in the show notes and on the blog post. And just briefly then, before we move on to other things, a couple of ideas about particular celebrations in Saint-Emilion. At the end of April and the beginning of May, there's the Open Doors in Saint-Emilion festival, where some 90 wineries open their doors, welcome the public. So if you do want to go and tour lots of different places, all in a short space of time, that might be something of interest. You can go in on tours, wine tastings, exhibitions are set up, and it's quite a celebratory event, so there are concerts and whatnot going alongside. As you would expect, there's an annual festival celebrating the wine year, so in the autumn, in September, and the one locally here is called the Vent des Vendanges, a ceremony that takes place on the King's Keep and officially marks the end of one wine-growing year and the start of the new one. They take it pretty seriously. The whole thing starts with a torch-lit procession, and then the following day, the Jurade, which still exists, invites some 500 guests or so to a celebration. 
There'll be guests of honour as well. One recent one was the astronaut Thomas Pesquet, who became, was inducted as, I think the term is, a peer of the Jurard, a ceremony which took place in the collegiate church. Other Jurards were elected, as were ambassadors. Not quite sure what the difference was, but there were six Jurards and 38 new ambassadors. And then the whole thing followed, of course, by a party where, I imagine, no small amounts of local wine were celebrated. And just a few weeks after that, in October, comes the Montgolfiade de Saint-Emilion, the hot air balloon festival. And when you see the countryside surrounding the little town, you will be sure that it would be a fantastic place to soar over in a hot air balloon, or indeed to watch other people doing that. I think both are possible at the festival. So, to summarise, I do think if you're only going to have one day out from Bordeaux, then Saint-Emilion is the place to head for. But that doesn't mean there aren't lots of other possibilities too. For example, you are in a coastal area, so going to the beach is a good idea. Lots and lots of possibilities for that, and I've picked out just a few. There is actually a blog post called Getting to the Beach from Bordeaux Without a Car. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And one of their suggestions is to go by coach. You could leave from the Saint-Jean train station or from Cancans. And there are 12 different destinations that you could head for. Or, if you're feeling a bit more sporty than that, there is a cycle track from Bordeaux to Lacano along a disused railway line. It's fairly long, 60 kilometres in total. So you may or may not do the whole thing and end up at the beach. But even if you don't, doing part of it would be a cracking day out, I think, especially as it passes through the Bruges Marshes, a nature reserve. I have captured the link to a detailed route for this cycle trip, and I'll make sure that's in the usual places for you to consult. And there is also a GR around Bordeaux, GR standing for Grande Randonnée, which means big walk. If you're not familiar with the term, there are routes for Grande Randonnée all over France. And actually, I read that the very first one was this one around Bordeaux. It's 160 kilometres in total, takes you all round the city, though obviously you could just do a section. And maps for that available at the tourist office, who also handily provide a link to tell you all about it. So again, I'll list that. A second idea for a day trip to another little town not too far away, an hour or so by train, I think, where you'll get a very different flavour of the Nouvelle-Aquitaine area, would be Arcachon. You can just take a train from Bordeaux if you want to go and enjoy Arcachon itself, where you'll find 19th century villas lining the harbour, sandy beaches, lots of seafood restaurants overlooking Arcachon Bay. If you go to any restaurants in Bordeaux or anywhere in the area, You'll notice that they often boast that their oysters come from Arcachon. They're said to be the very best top quality oysters. So you can research that when you go. Another option would be to rent a bike when you get there and go for a 30 minute or so bike ride along the coast to the Dune de Pila, Europe's largest sand dune. Or of course you could visit one of the oyster farms around the bay. If you want to learn a little bit about oyster production, and or indulge in some tastings. There are boat trips, of course. You can rent a boat yourself, or there are companies that will take you on a cruise to see the bay, to see some oyster beds, 
to visit a nearby bird island. It's also a good trip to do if you have a car. You could take in the Cap Ferret, a forested area. Again, plenty of oyster farms to visit, little fishing villages to drive past, sandy beaches where you could stop. It's quite easy to come up with an itinerary yourself, but the ones I looked at tended to include villages like Grande Piquet and Puraillon and Lerbelle. They took in the Cap Ferret lighthouse and they also swung by the Dune du Pilat, so 328 feet worth of sand dune, the highest in Europe. Relatively straightforward to climb up if you're good at steps because they've built 168 to take you to the top where, of course, you will get views for miles of both the ocean and inland. All of those ideas then are relatively easily accessible from Bordeaux. If you've only gone for a few days and you want to just pop out a little distance, there'll be things to try. But if you're basing yourself for a little longer in Bordeaux and would like to go a bit further afield, then listen to this quotation from the Bordeaux Tourism website. Are you keen to visit the ancient caves of Lascaux, discover the Basque culture, ride a bike across the Ile de Ré, visit the town of Cognac, or surf the waves of the French Land region? All these places and activities are easily accessible from Bordeaux. Embark on an exciting getaway to discover the local treasures of the Aquitaine region. All of those, I think, will take more than an hour to get to, but it is a reminder that if you're based in Bordeaux for any length of time, there are all sorts of exciting excursions that you can go on. And the link to that post will help you pick which one you fancy and plan it. Lots of people, of course, will go to Bordeaux and just stay put because there's no shortage of things to do in the city itself. But if discovering an area is also on your agenda, this is a great one to choose, I think. So much history, pretty little vineyards, coast, countryside, history, architecture. Whatever it is you most like to do, I think you'll find some examples of it. So that brings me to the end of this episode. It's the penultimate one in the Bordeaux series. So just one to go and that's the anthology. So I hope you'll join me to listen to that next time. I'm going to cover what the locals call the three M's three authors whose name all began with M, two philosophers and a 20th century novelist, have a little look at who they were and why they're famous and what they wrote, and then move on to other books written by Bordeaux authors in some cases, or just by people who thought it was a great setting for a novel, and share a few extracts of things that will convey the atmosphere, perhaps inform your visit a little in a slightly different way. So all of that to come next time. And then, of course, it will be time to embark on a new city and a new series. So details of that coming soon. In the meanwhile, though, can I remind you again to have a look at the website? There are new posts appearing all the time. I'm filling in posts to go with every episode from every city that's been done so far, hoping to provide a little summary that's handy to check. If you haven't got time to listen or re-listen to a whole podcast episode, there'll be links at the bottom to all the places you might want to visit based on what's in the episode and, of course, some pictures along the way. And while you're online, if you feel like leaving a review somewhere, that would be very much appreciated. I very much enjoyed one I found from Michael in Adelaide in Australia the other day, which read as follows. 
Thank you so much for this wonderful podcast and all these characters' names and fascinating insights. I've only recently stumbled onto City Breaks and I love it and appreciate all the work you're putting into it. You've got me rereading lots of books because now I've got a different, better, more detailed image in my head. So thanks very much for that. Well, isn't that nice? It quite cheered me up. Anyway, to finish then, thanks very much for listening today. Merci pour l'écoute and hoping to enjoy your company next time too. À la prochaine fois. Merci et au revoir. <laughs>